Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are French football writer Jonathan Johnson and the ever-reliable duo of Eric Devin and Philippe Bargil. Well, it's been an interesting week, the kind that feels like the weekend's hangover lasted for several days. But after Paris Saint-Germain's dramatic European exit, can they recover? Will Unai Emery stay on and will PSG fans ever get over it? Uh, maybe not, but we'll, we'll discuss that and more after the latest headlines. Nice started the Ligue 1 weekend off by stumbling badly against Caen, needing a ferocious comeback to earn a 2-2 draw at home. Dropped points that will sting even more with the news that Willan Cyprian has been lost for the season with a knee injury. Marseille continued their good attacking form, notching a 3-0 home win over in-form Angers, punctuated by a double from Florian Tovan. Saturday's early match saw hosts Monaco stretched by Bordeaux, but a pair of sublime individual goals were enough for a 2-1 victory, made nervy by a late error from Daniel Subasic. In the multiplex, there were goals aplenty, with not getting a double from winter signing Prejus Nakulama, a two-win at Montpellier 3-2. There were five goals as well in Bastia's trip to Gangon, but they were all for the home side as Gail Danich became the latest in the Corsican side's run of poor discipline in a 5-0 defeat. Lille battled back to get a vital win at Nancy, while Dijon moved up a place after earning a draw at Rennes. On Sunday, Saint-Étienne welcomed back the likes of Kelvin Malqui and Roman Hamouma from injury, but were forced to rely on a late equaliser from Loric Perrin to earn a 2 all draw with Metz. Leves winless run now stretches to seven matches, and European football looks far away indeed. Lyon continued their good form at home, winning 4-0 against Toulouse, with a stunning second-half display that included a goal from the centre circle, courtesy of Memphis Depay. Um, Paris Saint-Germain closed out the weekend by enduring some nervy moments away to Lorient, but eventually sealed the three points 2-1, a victory enough to keep pace with Monaco at the top of the table. In Ligue 2, Reims took advantage of Brest's continued struggles and now topped the table on goal difference, with Lens able to join the pair on 49 points if they can claim a victory against Sochaux this evening. And that's all for the news. But remember, for all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with Paris Saint-Germain and after what will now be called the Camp Nou incident, it's time for a little bit of an autopsy of this club as it currently stands. Uh, sorry to drag you through this again, Jonathan, as you were at Ground Zero on Wednesday evening, but let's talk about that game first. Was it vintage Barcelona or was it PSG beating PSG on the night? Uh, I think there's no doubt about it. That it was Overall, it was PSG beating PSG. Uh, you know, I think... Barcelona definitely deserved to win the match. They didn't deserve to win the tie, in my honest opinion. Uh, I think anybody that watched the match would probably agree with that. You know, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't a vintage Barcelona performance. Uh, it, it was a it was a bad PSG one, but it was bad um, more from a mental aspect than anything else. You know, they did still manage to create chances in the second half. They did manage to get what should have been uh, a, a decisive away goal, uh, and I think it was just uh, you know two mental meltdowns uh, in the match, one very early on and then one late on uh, in the second half that contributed really towards uh, you know PSG 
doing enough to allow Barcelona to, uh, you know, get the goals they required uh, to move on to the quarterfinals. Because I think, uh, you know, had they maintained that uh, mental solidity that they rediscovered after Cavani got the goal, uh, you know, there's no doubt that they would have knocked Barcelona out, but they would have deservedly lost the match. You know, I don't think that PSG um, merited losing the tie uh, over the two legs. Uh, but it, it's it's impossible to defend, uh, you know, such a such a meltdown. Let's talk about the selection from Unai Emery to start off with, Philip, and that's mainly centred around the decision to start Thiago Silva over Presnel Kimpembe, and also for Angel Di Maria to start on the bench, mainly from not being fully fit. But if he's available for the bench, surely he's available to start in some capacity. Were were those? Choices in hindsight, there were real mistakes before this tie even started. Well, I think fielding the whole eleven was a was a serious mistake, given given the the, the final score. It's of course extremely easy to say that uh, Kim Pemba should have should have started instead of Thiago Silva, that Dima should have started in, instead of um, instead of uh, Lucas. Uh, truth is, um, the tactics were were quite wrong in the first half and were uh, sort of. Um, rectified in the in the second half, where PSG were not playing the, uh, too badly. Munier made a stupid, uh, silly challenge on um, on Neymar early in the second half. But apart from that, then Cavani, Cavani scores a goal. Cavani has a chance to make it three two. Uh, Di Maria uh, should have gotten a penalty. Even Mascherano admitted uh, admitted so. And then you had that kind of. Uh, Miracle uh, that uh, for Barcelona, of course, disaster for PSG, um, that um, that uh, enabled Barcelona to win. Now, I've listened to a lot of um, of podcasts. I've, I've read a lot of comments about that game because a lot of people have been talking about it, obviously, and a lot of people will be talking about it for a while. I, I believe I'll I'll remember it when I'm when I'm fifty or sixty. Um, from from what from what I gather, I'm I'm not quite sure if. When I wanted PSG to play so deep, or that he told them to uh, to play a bit higher, but that the players were too pressed by Barcelona. Now, I'm quite sure when I told them to to start the game deep, and that the player followed his uh, followed his uh, his his judgment. But there's, there's there are other experts, you know, uh, renowned uh, people who said that uh, the players didn't follow uh, Unai's. Um, um, uh, consigne, uh, well, what what they were supposed to do, but anyway, um, and I don't know what what do you guys think about it. I mean, did did the players not not follow Unai's instruction in the second in the first half, or I mean, I just find this very hard to believe. I mean, per- personally, I don't think that, that the players did follow Emery's uh, instructions. Uh, it's it's debatable, you know, just how much uh, you, or you know what tactical instructions Emery gave them. Uh, at the beginning of the match uh, to go out there. But I think uh, PSG set up uh, early on just to try and avoid conceding that early goal. And the moment that there was a bit of panic at the back, uh, you know, it, it happened almost instantly. You know, Suarez scoring inside of three minutes was pretty mm. much, you know, the nightmare scenario and probably one that Emery said, whatever happens, uh, you know, we cannot concede in the first sort of five to ten minutes. And I think that as soon as the PSG players realised that that had happened, uh, you know that that's that that's when anything that Emery had said pre-match then went out the window. I mean, you just had to look mm. at him on the touchline during that first half. You know, he was irate with some of his players, and rightly so at times. You know, saw him laying into Kazar on a number of occasions when, uh, you know, he was he was trying to to, to press forward, but then losing the ball every time he touched it. 
I'm yeah, and 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 the people who said um, that uh, the players didn't didn't follow the um, the guidelines was was were basically saying it was thanks to Barcelona's pressing that uh, PSG uh, played so deep. I just didn't sit. I didn't. I just didn't feel like Barcelona's pressing was that good. I mean, I I, I disagree with that, Philip. I think that yeah. Rakitic and Busquets in particular playing very high up the pitch, certainly in PSG's third. And I mm. think that, that those two in particular were instrumental in, in the press as well. I think that Rafinha and Messi were tucking in and it, it made midfield, particularly around the penalty area, very crowded. And I think that that was absolutely PSG's plan from the outset to try and create havoc against against this defense. And without the likes of, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, but without the likes of Thiago Mata to sort of calm things down mm. and Thiago Silva looking off the boil, they they succumbed to it. They didn't have the right, you know, the right sort of emotional wherewithal to, to write the ship as it were. I agree. I, I agree. I agree with Eric that Barcelona's press was high, but I don't think that Barcelona um, pressing high from the very start of the match immediately makes it, uh, you know, a vintage Barcelona performance as many mm-hmm. people have, have been saying, you know, people have been saying, Oh, this was, you know, Barcelona oh. at their very best because the press was high. The press was high, but they still didn't actually create that much in the first half. Uh, you know, aside from the the, the early uh, opportunity uh, that Suarez managed to take, which you know was quite lucky, and then the own goal scored just before half time uh, by PSG, which was you know one of a number of uh, self inflicted uh, wounds uh, during that match. And you know, I, I, just because Barcelona pressed high, I don't think that that necessarily um, was, the cause, was the cause of PSG's mental meltdown. I, you know, I think PSG's mental meltdown was the fact that there were not strong enough characters in that team. Mm. Because we can all agree that the, the quality of those two goals in the first half were not very, uh, were not very good, and and I I actually saw that Barcelona didn't do much with the ball in the first half. I mean, it I was mean, a lot of so passing. many overhit passes. I mean, that, that, that's that's what made me and shots from like and shots off target. Yeah, it, you know, that's what made me feel it was laughable, and people were saying it was a vintage Barcelona performance at the end. Because even mm. in the second half, you know, I saw you know players like. Uh, uh, you know, Iniesta playing playing balls towards their t- towards his teammates. You know, not even meeting the target first time of asking. You know, for if if people think that that was a, a vintage Barcelona performance, they're either kidding themselves or they're very easily pleased. And their mm. uh, you know uh, ability to watch football has, has gone drastically downhill since the years that Barcelona really were uh, you know the best team to watch in Europe. Or yeah. haven't watched Barcelona in a very long time. <laughs> very true, and and really to mention, like we said, that they were very very deep at times. Paris Saint Germain, with even Cavani yeah. sort of in that thirty yard area against his own goal, which is not really where you want your main striker. But I, I do want to bring a point of it, it was a, an issue with character. And, and Eric, I want to bring you on this as well. There was a really interesting piece in the Guardian about how the Barcelona players reacted to PSG scoring, where they were incidents of diving, and there's quite. Let's say a, a a clear dive might be the nice way of putting it because it's it's atrocious drive really from Luis Suarez. Did that penalty decision so close to the end really swing this game in Barca's favor in Barcelona's favor? I mean, in terms of it affecting the score of the tie, yes. But it, the fact is that Barcelona still had to score another goal after that in five minutes of stoppage time. And should there have been that much stoppage time, that's another matter for debate. But Getting that decision is frustrating, but again, we need to come back to the character of this team and saying, okay, you're still winning the tie. They still need to score again. 
buckle down and play out the last five minutes, dribble into the corner and, and play out the string. But it just wasn't happening. And Emery, bizarrely, I mean, brings on Krakowiak. I mean, okay, you're trying to waste time, but why not bring on a player who can keep the ball? Where's Ben Arfa? He'd, he'd be ideal for that. I know he's not had the best of seasons, but someone who can keep the ball, someone who can control the game, control the tempo, and, and perhaps earn a free kick and allow PSG to chip off that much more time. I, I just don't understand Emery's personnel selections, and I don't understand where this team is headed. Emery had the perfect chance to drop Silva and to really put his stamp on this team. And this is a team that's been in evolution this season, and it's down to Emery. It's giving more chances to Rabio, even in Kunku, Ikone, uh, Thomas Mounier being picked over Serge Aurier. This team is evolving personnel-wise for the first time really in the QSI era. And it's down to Emery and his selections, but his lack, his lack of strength at this crucial moment to pick the squad for this team, I think is what was the team's undoing. Why make changes after you beat Barcelona 4-0? I know Di Maria was an injury doubt, but you know, have him start and have Lucas finish the match, or have, have Ben Arfa finish the match, have Pastore finish the match. There are certainly options there, but getting it so wrong and giving Barcelona that chance to get that emotional leg up early on in the match was what decided this. It wasn't a penalty decision. It wasn't you know, an offside call. It wasn't diving. The fact that Barcelona had any chance to win this match was down to Emery's selection and how that played out. I don't necessarily. Oh, I, I I don't agree that uh, you know he should have left Silver out of the starting lineup. Uh, you know I don't think at the end of the day Silver being part of the starting eleven uh, was really uh, part of PSG's downfall. I mean, should 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 Silver have greater control over his team? Uh, certainly, in terms you know, in in terms of uh, you know the serenity that that he that he admits to his teammates. Yeah, I think I think he should, and I think that it's time to discuss uh, Silver's captaincy of this team. But realistically, was there any way that Emery was ever going to not start Silver at camp now? Uh, you know, I think the only way that he wasn't going to start him was if he was injured again. You know, Silver when he's fit. Rightly walks into the in, into the starting eleven. Kimpembe was absolutely sensational first leg, really was, uh, you know, and I think he has a very very bright future. Uh, but I think that it would have put him under a lot of pressure as well to start that second leg. I think maybe some of the mistakes that Emery made uh, in terms of personnel weren't actually necessarily made on the night against Barcelona. It was made against Nancy, uh, you know, in the match before in Digan because he put out. Uh, you know, somebody like Pastore and paid, played him for 90 minutes when we'd seen Pastore already have, uh, you know, a big influence on the, the Marseille match a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then the, the French Cup match away at Nyon as well. You know, and somebody like Pastore, uh, you know, like, like you said, um, when you were talking about the players that Emery could have brought on towards the end of the game to try and buy PSG a bit of time. You know, Pastore, if you want players on the pitch who are going to be able to keep the ball at their feet, uh, you know, and find their teammates for the pass, somebody like Pastore is perfect for that. And I was surprised. Um, you know that the Emery didn't um, shock a few people by actually putting Pastore into the starting lineup in Barcelona. But then again, when you consider that he played 90 minutes for the first time in pretty much forever against Nancy, uh, you, you know it's, it's also kind of understandable why he why he didn't start. And I think that Emery, uh, you know, already started the game with his hands, or you know, at least one of his hands tied behind his back. By the players that he selected for, uh, you know, the Nancy game, because he could have, he could have rested a few of those players, and they could have been in, uh, you, know, you know, in better condition for the Barcelona match uh, once it came around. Jonathan, I take your point on Silva, but 
I think what I'm trying to get at here, and I didn't elicit it as much as well as I would have liked, is that in dropping Silva, it's not only about the player's performance on the pitch, but it's about making a statement about how this team can actually evolve instead of being so so reliant on players bought rather than players developed. Yeah, no, I I can I completely get that. But then, if you're going to make a point, then surely Marquinhos, as the player who has been more error prone than Silva this season, is the player to make way. And it would have been Kim Pembe and Silva starting in, in the starting eleven against Barcelona. Uh, you know, I think Marquinhos is a is a fantastic player as well. Yeah, he's had a, a tough last couple of games. You know, because he wasn't particularly impressive against Lorient either. But I also think that he's been overworked this season. You know, people forget, uh, you know, that he had a very busy last summer. Uh, and and ever since Louise left, you know he's been in the starting lineup pretty much uh, pretty much every game. But I think if Emery was going to, to you know to make a point uh, in you know with regards to the uh, you know to the defensive hierarchy, then he would have put Kim Pembe in ahead of Marquinhos. Hmm. <laughs> I think we can debate that the Champions League and the selection and and how things devolved from there all all evening. But let's look back a little bit more on their general season, and we'll start with. The league form, Philip, and they, they they started a little bit slowly, and there was the loss to Monaco, obviously that probably should have been a real wake up call. They had that real dip in December as well, with losses to Montpellier and Gangomp and the and the draw at Nice. What? How do you summarise this season, at least domestically so far? It's been while they're still not far off the top. It's been relatively up and down. It's been um, the discovery of uh, very poor performances from the acquisitions, mostly uh, Krikoviak. But enough not really getting his chance, and I'm not really, I'm, I'm not, I don't really want to criticize Ben Arthur's season because whenever he's been, uh, he's been played, it was in the hole behind the striker in the four-two-three-one, a very difficult position to to evolve in. So I'm I'm not going to say Ben Arthur had a bad season. I, what I will say is that he's not used correctly. Um, a season where the competition has become much more uh, well uh, competitive. Monaco and Nice have been playing have been playing very good football. They've got two very good, uh, very apt tactical tactical managers in Jardim and, and Lucien Favre, um, and uh, a learning curve for for Unai. Also, the uh, life without uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Relying on goal, um, relying on Cavani for for goals. So uh, very much a, a transitional uh, league season, domestic season, and I I think I I think it's it's been it's been uh, mostly mostly disappointed. But if you actually like football and you like uh, competition, well, you're not you're not that disappointed. I mean, uh, except if you're a hardcore PSG fan and you want your side to win five 0 every weekend, but um, I think uh, I think it's been. Yeah, it's uh, it's not been it's not been it's not been perfect. But then again, uh, are you really going to do better after a season where you achieve ninety six points, which is you know pretty pretty awesome? Yeah, and, it, and it, upcoming is a really interesting couple of weeks for Paris Saint Germain again, yeah. Jonathan, with with Leon at the weekend, and then obviously the Coupe de la Ligue final as well against Monaco. How important are those games upcoming for Emery to really? do almost a salvage job on his career at, at Paris Saint-Germain that might be arguably hanging by a thread to say that Laurent Blanc was sacked for less last summer. Yeah, and I think it's a hugely poignant moment to, to sort of be comparing this uh, this current season to last season when you bear in mind that this time last year PSG had just sewn up the league untitled with that 
you know, massive win away at Trois as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge couple of weeks coming up for MAI uh, and PSG. And, you know, you look at the fixtures that uh, that the team have between now and the end of the season, and it's, it's not just in these next couple of weeks where they're going to be challenged. You know, there are, there are very tough games all the way up until the end of the season now. You know, they've still got to go to uh, Nice. They've still got to go to Saint-Étienne as well. So, there, there are some potential key fixtures there and it's all going to depend really, uh, I think, on what happens with Monaco in the Champions League in the next couple of days, then what happens against Monaco in the Coupe de la Ligue final, uh, because at the end of the day, PSG passed up their opportunity to uh, do as much as they could to, you know, to drag to drag Monaco back. You know, they lost away, they failed to, to, to win at home. So now they're dependent on Monaco dropping points elsewhere. And they've already passed up a fantastic opportunity when Monaco drew away at Bastia a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, because they then went and drew at home to Toulouse after thrashing Barcelona. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, what PSG really need to do in these next couple of weeks is, uh, you know, pick up as many points as they can in, uh, in the league. So obviously beat, beat Leon at home. Uh, but, they really need to try and demoralise Monaco by beating them and beating them convincingly in the Coupe de la Ligue final because if they don't, uh, you know, there's a good chance that they will get beaten by being at anything other than their best uh, when they meet at Parc OL. Uh, and also, uh, you know, if they don't, uh, you know, strike that hammer blow uh, on on, the, on on Monaco, particularly if Monaco have already gone out of the Champions League as well, then it could be, you know, a double hit, uh, you know, twice in as, in, in, in as many weeks. Uh, you know, and if, if PSG failed to do that, you know, I think this this season we could be talking about Monaco not only winning the gun but winning, you know, one, uh, you know, a, 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 a league and cup, a domestic cup double as well. And that would really be to the chagrin of Nasser El Khalifi if if they do that as well, Eric. On an honest opinion, if Monaco do get that positive result in a couple of weeks' time in the cup, does Emery go then? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess Jonathan might be a better person to answer this than, than I would because, I mean, what sort of assistance would be available? Uh, you know, it could could Kamara lead the team, I mean, for the rest of the season? Champions League's pretty much assured, but there would still be the Coupe de France. I, I would be wary of not having a someone with a high level of experience to lead the team for the rest of the season, given that the season will probably come down to the last couple of weeks, Coupe de France, and the league title. Hmm. But I don't, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Emery goes. I mean, I know there's a lot of people saying his position is untenable after the Barcelona result, but there has to be some uh, perspective when we look at what's happened with Emery this season. And there have been some positive signs. Okay, you know, there have been a lot of negatives, you know, but you, if you isolate the first leg performance against Barcelona, which I think was better than Barcelona's second leg performance, uh, and the way that some of the uh, youth academy players have emerged, uh, you know, as real genuine options, uh, you know, in, in the first team squad. Uh, you know, I think that there is a case for Emery being given uh, a second season in charge. But one of the big questions is, you know, how much of a say does he really have over who goes out in the starting lineup week in, week out? And, you know, which of, which members of this this squad is he able to use uh, and able to rotate regularly, you know, who are who are sort of the untouchables. Because I think the one thing that should really happen after a, a disaster like the one we saw in Barcelona last week is that any players, with the exception of maybe someone like Edinson Cavani, uh, you know, no players at the moment should be considered untouchable. And Cavani's untouchable status, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily come from the fact that he runs himself into the ground, uh, you know, and has a fantastic attitude week in, week out. It's the fact that, you know, he is banging in the goals at the moment 
uh, you know, every every time he is uh, asked to, and there's no real alternative to him at the moment as the as, as the central striker to leave the line. Otherwise, you know, there are options all over the pitch for all the other players in the starting eleven, and that's why I think that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, uh, you know, a, a Thiago Silva or a, a Christopher Nkunku. You know, you should no longer be considered untouchable, and Emery should be able to, uh, you know, pick and choose the the players that he wants um, for his starting 11s week in, week out, without having to, you know, to bear in mind some of this star status that seems to have dragged him and dragged the team down at times this season. Jonathan, I just wanted to jump on something you mentioned there quickly. I, I know we had seen brief flashes of Adrian Rabio last season, but this season he's really come into his own. You mentioned Nkunku. I think Ikone has looked bright when he's been used as well. Uh, is are is the continued inclusion of players like that a sign that Emery does have a higher level of influence than we've seen in the past from the likes of well particularly Laurent Blanc? I don't think it necessarily reflects Emery's influence. I think it reflects the fact that PSG maybe have just woken up and seen the immense talent that they have, uh, you know, on their own doorstep in their youth academy, uh, you know, and are finally pushing to use uh, some elements of it. However, you know, you could then argue that. Uh, you know, if that was the case, Augustin would get more chances in the first team he's been given this season. And it's clear that Emery doesn't fancy uh, Augustin. But then again, you know, he is pretty much the only competitor for Cavani's starting role. And Cavani is one of the big stars uh, of this, uh, this, this Qatari project. So it is possible that, uh, you know, although he is talking the talk and walking the walk, uh, you know, that, that Cavani is still seen as untouchable, uh, you know, by... Uh, members of the uh, of, of, of the PSG hierarchy and the Emery, if he wanted to take Cavani out of the starting eleven, wouldn't be able to anyway. Uh, you know, because there's there's pressure from above. You know, I think I think it would be uh, it, it would be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, how Emery would pick his team, uh, assuming that there was no sort of outside influence. You know, it's very it's very it's something that's very difficult to prove, but it does feel at times like. Uh, you know, some players are selected just solely based on the fact that they are considered big stars. If I may say something about Unai's future, um, I uh, I hope that him uh, leaving is not um, him leaving or staying is not a foregone conclusion. I hope that people will see that uh, the progress made under Barcelona could never ever have been made under Laurent Blanc. Uh, that uh, there has been. Uh, been progress made against well uh, a relatively good side in Barcelona. Even though I don't really see, I think they played uh, particularly well in in either in either leg, uh, and that 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 level of performance uh, is just uh, is just why we bought we bought uh, we 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 got Unai from uh, from last season. Um, in that respect, it is. It is a step up. I mean, if we wanted to win every league game and every Coupe de France and Coupe de la Ligue uh, game, it would have, it would have, um, we would have kept uh, kept Blanc. But the Qataris want to win, want to win the Champions League. So I, I honestly hope that Emery stays at least until uh, next season's uh, nitty gritty part of the of the Champions League. Uh, just to say, okay, I got it wrong last season. It was my first season at PSG. Um, not a particularly big club, but uh, a club where there's a lot of pressure to win the Champions League and, and to me, far too much pressure than, than it should be. Uh, I think it's it's a club that puts puts uh, themselves the most pressure uh, in Europe to win the Champions League, which just does not uh, work to, to, their, to their benefit. And, you know, leave him 
Leave him until um, uh, the next season, until the results in the Champions League of next season, and see and see where he where he takes the club from from there. Unfortunately, I I don't I honestly don't want Piaget to win any uh, any trophies this season, so that they'll, they'll be really hungry next season. But unfortunately, if that does happen, uh, he will be sacked. I mean, I'm not I'm under no illusions, and it will be difficult not to sack him if he loses the Coupe de Ligue final against Monaco, which is. Extremely, extremely important. I think another thing as well that um, needs to be taken into account when people think about um, the differences between this season and last season is the fact that last season, uh, you know, PSG started with every player at the beginning of preseason. They didn't with this. You know, international tournaments are always a big influence on the way some of the big teams start uh, their domestic campaigns because so many of their players are called up by various international teams. Uh, you know, and PSG's big stars didn't really, uh, you know, start uh, getting you know, back as established members of the the starting eleven until say a month, six weeks into the season. That's why PSG had uh, you know their big power struggle when uh, Emery was failing to to sort of uh, win over uh, you know, the members of the dressing room once they'd all um, returned to club action. Uh, and were available for selection. And once again, you know, there were the rumours that Matuidi was going to leave late in the transfer window and go to Juventus. Uh, you know, and then just after that, uh, the defeat away at Monaco. Uh, you know, stories surfaced about how the players uh, confronted Emery about his preference for the 4-2-3-1 and then, uh, you know, pushed for a return to the possession-based 4-3-3 as well. And I think with a full pre-season uh, under his belt with all of the players, you know, I think Emery uh, will have his ideas across to the players and they will be hungry from the very beginning of the season. And we will see more performances like the one we saw where they destroyed Lyon in the Trophée de Champions. Uh, just before the start of, uh, of of last season, you know, once PSG actually, you know, get into their in, into their league and uh, and Champions League campaign. Yeah, and it's it's with an international tournament combined with a brand new manager and a new philosophy that that can't be understated as well. But let's talk about the changes possibly to come to the in the summer and to the squad. And with that, we'll bring in a couple of questions we've got on Twitter. And the first one's from at Footy News Forty Four. He's asked you, John, particularly, will, will PSG sell Lucas Moura this summer and will Thiago Silva be sitting on the bench next season? Silva won't be sitting on the bench, um, but I think that Silva may well find himself without the captain's armband next season and I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think that Silva, at the end of the day, is now too bogged down by everything that has been said about his uh, leadership credentials. Uh, I think that he's a fantastic defender. Uh, I think that he's a brilliant organiser and he communicates well. However, I think that his own belief in his ability to lead teams, uh, whether it's PSG or Brazil, has been shaken. And I think now is the right time to take that pressure off him and maybe give the captain's armband to somebody else, somebody with a really um, strong character, somebody like Cavani, who's had to put up with so much since uh, he arrived at, at PSG and has now really, uh, you know, become one of the stars of this team. You know, I think that he would set the sort of example that needs to be set to his teammates uh, better than uh, somebody like uh, Thiago Silva with Lucas Moura. Uh, I think that Lucas may well find himself out um, next season. Uh, this, this season, statistically speaking, has been his best. Uh, since he's arrived at PSG, but I think uh, you know there have still been times where he's come up short uh, this campaign, and the best example of that was in Barcelona, where he was absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, along with Kazawa, one of the worst players on the pitch. Uh, and for me, I think that Lucas could be one of the players who's shipped off this summer. Yeah, you I thought Vachel was pretty bad in the first half, actually. 
I was thinking if you combine that with the just recently signed Draxler, they've got Di Maria. Guedes has only just been recently signed and the, the rumours of Alexis Sanchez possibly in the summer as well. It's Lucas looking like the odd one out as well. But the second question I'll, I'll throw to you, Eric, and that's focused on Serge Aurier and, and whether he still should be a PSG player, thanks to <laughs> at Futnik PL. Um, he, again, he mentions as well about his moment against Lorient where it took him around just over eight minutes to get ready for coming on as a substitute. That's combining the offences with driving and the, the uh, periscope incident, shall we call it, last season. Uh, with Especially with the rise of Mounier this season as well. Eric, why, why is he still a PSG player? Uh, I think because of the potential he's shown in the recent past. I think that we've we've seen him be potentially lauded as the best right back in the world, and I, I don't think that he... I don't think that on best he is a step down from that. I think that he's certainly shown up potential. He's still fairly young. I think he's 24. Uh, and I, so I think that they're still hoping that he can come good because, again, on his day, he's the best right back in the world. But I don't know. Mounier, prior to this Barcelona match, I think had looked the better player this season. And it, he looked... Mounier, that is, looked much more promising. And... It, it did look to me at, at that point, uh, prior to that Barcelona match, that Mounier would would uh, replace Aurier and Aurier could potentially be sold on. I know Barcelona themselves had actually mentioned his potential destination. That being said, I, I think that this person makes a good point. I think that Aurier should be sold on because he does have a, a value. I think that there's too many other options out there in world football. I mean, We've mentioned Ricardo Rodriguez in the past, so we've mentioned uh, there could be, you know, Gerbil Sidibe as another player I've seen linked. I just don't think that there's a place for Aurea on this team, uh, given his antics. Hmm. Yeah, it, it does worry you, especially with the play, well, the rise of Mounier in the bits like that, that he really, you could cash in quite a bit on him, I would think. Uh, let's sort of curtail this argument with the, the, the mentioned on uh, on the French TV the other, uh, the other night, Flip, that uh, the players that possibly could be moving on and, and who could go and where they could go. Is there any worry of the bigger players possibly moving on, like the likes of maybe Verratti to, to Barcelona? Is that something you fear in the summer that if, if they feel that Paris Saint-Germain have gone backwards, that they, they might want to leave? Who? Sorry. Ver- Verratti, uh, Cavani, anyone like that? Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, I, w- I was actually focusing on, on the on the on the OE, um, on the OE situation, saying that basically all the French media have been um, reopening that can of worms when he insulted when insulted ones that he should have he should have been sacked. Um, I think it's a, it's a clear yeah it's a distinct possibility. I don't think Matuidi will um, will will leave because I, I think if if he if there was ever a moment for him to leave, it would have been last season. But Verratti leaving for uh, possibly Juventus is extremely uh, possible. But apart from that, I'm not quite sure. Uh, if um, apart from players just not being good enough to to play for the club, um, I'm not I'm not quite sure who else. Uh, I mean, I, I, the thing is, there are not a lot of clubs who can afford the players' as wages. Uh, have to pay the um, the transfer fee first. Um, so uh, Verratti apart. I'm not. I'm not that sure. And uh, to be honest, to be honest, I would like us to, um, if 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 the players don't want to play for the club anymore, they can leave. 
and uh, buy uh, buy young buy young and buy local. Let let us be let us be that um, let us be the uh, French Bayern Munich. Let us buy players like uh, William Cyprien, Corentin Tolisso, Alexandre Lacazette, uh, and piss everybody else off. That's you know that would be my that would be my answer. I personally don't think that players, star players such as Marco Ferrati, who are on long-term contracts, will be the concern for PSG this summer. I think the real concern for PSG this summer will be a player like Cavani, who's in contract talks at the moment, only has an extra year on his deal after this mm. summer. Uh, you know, somebody like him wanting out and forcing PSG to have to sell him because otherwise they know that they won't get anything for him the next summer. You know, I think that that will be the the, the big worry at the moment. And you know, I think that they're going to have to make it a very good offer to to Cavani now in order to convince him to stay. Um, you know, had he had he put pen to paper before the Barcelona second leg, that would have been understandable. But uh, you know, PSG seems to have been messing around a lot with these uh, contract negotiations with the likes of Cavani, with the likes of Rabiot, with the likes of Marquinhos as well. None of those uh, contracts have been signed. You know, Rabiot said that he wants to wait until the summer. Marquinhos has said that contract talks are ongoing. So has Cavani, but yet none of these uh, new deals have been. Uh, have have been made public so you know I think it's now a very interesting moment for PSG because they really have to prove uh, to these key players that you know their ambitions uh, you know are enough to you know to, to keep them there and keep them part of the project you know I think Cavani for me would be the the real concern because you know he has at times uh, you know dragged this this team forward with his goals you know people can say oh you know he still misses a lot of chances and everything but he has uh, you know, scored such a high percentage of PSG's goals this season that I, you know, I think he is indispensable at the moment, and PSG cannot afford to lose him. Yeah, it makes a real difference with the amount of goals he's scored this season, especially. I think that's just about enough on PSG for for one evening. We could probably go on all night, but our attention turns now to Ligue 1 Seoul, now Champions League representative in Monaco, who hosts Manchester City at home on Wednesday evening. They're five through down from that first leg at the Etihad, but do have three away goals in their pocket, Eric. Uh, can they do it? I mean, sure they can, but I, I think that we're just beginning now to see Pep Guardiola's influence on this team. The, since switching to this 4-1-4-1, they've really been imperious both in attack and defense. Surprisingly, I mean, I, I think that if you had asked anybody three months ago, oh, we're going to play Yaya Torre as a sole defensive midfielder, they would have, you know, looked at you as if you had two heads. But I think that we've seen this team playing Manchester City that is in a complete comprehensive team effort. You've got David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne tracking back, uh, and they're really playing with this 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 great amoeba-like fluidity of shape that the very best teams play with. Uh, and that's, I think, down to Pep Guardiola's influence finally being felt. So do I think, I mean, of course, Monaco have a chance, you know, but I think also we can't undersell Camille Glick being being missing. Uh, I think he's been, you know, as much as much credit as we've given Bruno Silva, Radamel Falcao, Kylian Mbappe, Camille Glick has made the difference. I mean, Monaco were frankly awful defensively compared to their ambitions, and I last season. And having the Polish player come in has made this team that much more adept defensively. He's a great organizer. He's a great header of the ball. He scored some crucial goals. Thinking of that goal against. Uh, that Leverkusen in the group stage, there's the absence of him is just going to be too much to overcome. I would look at maybe a score draw, say two two with City to progress. Philip, do you feel any differently? Is there is there a way that Hart Jardim, who's who has 
performed some little miracles, you would say, tactically in the past. Do, do you think he can come up with something that maybe causes City a couple of problems on, on a night where a 2 0 win would see them through? I think the uh, the key player here is uh, Valer Germain, who uh, who plays more of a second striker rather than uh, two two strike two strikers playing up front, like we saw in the first leg with Falcao and Mbappé Lotin. Uh, basically, just just waiting for the ball and leaving a, a flat four, uh, really exposed. Um, I I just can't see Jardin playing another formation than four four two or four four one one if you if you prefer. Uh, because he's been playing that this season for the, basically every game, uh, possibly aside from the game at the Parc des Princes, um, and this just doesn't, this just doesn't. I, I don't know. It just doesn't work at at, at the high level. This four four two thing, and and as as I rightly said, four one four one is a is a good formation. Guardiola has found a good deal there. Uh, all the players seem to be um, uh, very very happy to to be playing in that uh, in that formation. The attack is. The attack is decent, so is the midfield, the defence. The goalkeeper is not great. Uh, um, I don't, I don't particularly um, rate the guy all, all that much. Um, but uh, I, I just think uh, tactically, it's uh, it's basically Manchester City's to 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 lose. But uh, we've seen last week that uh, you know strange things can happen. I just, I just think it will be a two-one win. Jonathan, is the, how does Jardim approach this match? Uh, because it's it is still a close tie in theory, but a, a goal for Manchester City could probably seal things. It, do they start off conservative or do they go for the goals? Is it a difficult balancing act for the Portuguese manager to uh, to do on Wednesday evening? No, I agree with uh, Eric. You know, I think Glick's absence is potentially decisive. So I think that that should now push Jardine to decide that they just have to absolutely go for it. Just try and outscore Manchester City. Can can Monaco score two more goals than Manchester City on the night? Yeah, absolutely. But it's going to depend on how the defence holds up as to how many goals you know they need to score. I can see Monaco getting two goals on the night. More than that, okay, you know that that perhaps is a stretch. Uh, you know, so it, it will just depend on how the defence, the, the Jardim alliance, uh, holds up. But I think that they have to go for go for for, for broke immediately from the start of the match. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, Manchester City, although they were uh, you know lethal at times in attack in the first leg, you know they were very very poor defensively. And I think that although uh, Monaco's defence is not full strength or won't won't be full strength for this second leg. Uh, you know, I still think that it is, uh, you know, of, of similar strength to cities. So it's best for for Jardim to just send his team out uh, and try and outscore them. Because at the end of the day, you know, it is their attack that's made them so formidable domestically this season uh, and has made them so good in, uh, in in Europe as well. You know, I don't think there's anything for for Monaco to gain uh, by trying to to take the sting out of uh, out of Manchester City in the first half because there's no guarantee. Uh, you know that they they could score two goals in the in the second half. So I think they have to go for it immediately. Target that early goal, a bit like Barcelona got against PSG. You know, try and destabilize Man City. Uh, you know, and see where it goes from there. You know, if they can get themselves one or two goals in the first half, uh, you know, fingers crossed that they don't concede. Then yeah, I can absolutely see them uh, advancing. But the the big danger, as Eric rightly pointed out, is how the defense holds up without Glick because he is such a uh, you know such a talisman for that back line. And uh, Jameson and Raji as a partnership don't strike the most amount of fear in myself, or I, I would doubt Manchester City either. Um, Eric, does Kylian Mbappe start for you in this one as well? He's been excellent in the last couple of weeks. He's scored almost every time he's been on the pitch, and he was excellent in the 
the first leg as well. Does he start again? Absolutely. I think that this player is only growing in confidence and you know, the ch- even the chances he's taking, I mean, watching the match against Bordeaux, and that was that was a tight match. You know, they, they were they were up against it. It took them quite a while to break down Bordeaux and but Mbappe was the one to do it and I think that you can't you can't take a chance of leaving that out. Just that incandescence, that pace. I mean, you know, we've seen that John Stones has an error in him. We've seen whether it's it's Zabaleta or Otamendi that's played next to him or Kolarov. You know, those players, that last trio is getting on a little bit. I, I think that his pace and inventiveness and, and sheer courage makes him an absolute uh, dead cert to be started here. Yeah, and <laughs> it'll be exciting to watch him try and take him on again. I'll, I'll do prediction. We've got yours. Well, I think that we got yours, Eric, early on, on 2 2. Philip, what yes. do you think the scoreline will be? 2 uh, 1. Jonathan? I'm going to say 3 1, Monaco. I'm I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and join you there, Jonathan. On three one, I, I really do hope that Monaco put on another exciting performance because they have been terrific this season and they have such an exciting young lineup. And watch out for Bernardo Silva to do something interesting again. He was terrific in that first leg and he's been probably the best player in league on this season. Let's see if they can do it. Uh, we finished. It's not a very optimistic set of predictions, though, is it? Three <laughs> uh, well, um, one season progress, Philip. I, I yeah. would say. I'd like that to happen. I, I just don't see it, see it happening. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think the problem is that we all see Man City scoring at least once in Monaco, which, you know, might, might not have been the case had Glick uh, not been suspended. Uh, you know, but then again, if, you know, if Monaco do end up going out, they have to look back on that first leg and some of the goals they conceded in one in particular, you know, the one that goes straight through Supersic, uh, you know, where Man City caught, caught the fullbacks pressing high. Uh, you know, Subasic still could have kept that one out, didn't. Uh, mm. You know, it was it was particularly disappointing the way they sort of collapsed um, at the end of the match once they once they got those three goals in Manchester. Because that would yeah, yeah. have been a massive result the other way around, wouldn't it? Um, we finish this week with the only other representative in Europe, and that's Leon, who've had a fantastic week and are slowly back on the rise, really. Eight goals in their last two games, and they've averaged roughly that amount of goals in their last eight home matches over all competitions. Uh, Eric, has their offence really clicked into place recently? We're, they played a completely different striking lineup on one game and then a, a new set of three in the next game. Yeah, I think that in Liga, we do have to take things with a grain of salt. For Leon, I think that the teams that they've done this against, you know, the likes of a Mets and Nancy, Dijon, these are some of the worst teams in Liga, uh, particularly defensively for for those teams aside from Nancy. To lose, you know, offer a little bit of a, a better caliber, and I, I would say that the match the match yesterday was more impressive than those prior results. But let's see them do something against PSG. I think I think that it's it's lovely to see teams play expansive attacking football. It's lovely to see Christophe Jallet, who's one of my favorite players, back on form. Uh, that goal, very well taken at the weekend. I know Depay's goal might have overshadowed it, but none too shabby there from the right back either. So yeah, the, div- it, the divine slaphead. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's no, I've liked him since his PSG days. It's not because he's a Leon player. I really like the way he approaches the ma- approaches the games. Uh, but anyway, it's yeah. I, I think let's let's see it done uh, against a higher quality of opposition because the team. Let's face it, Leon were perhaps a little bit lucky to get a result against against Bordeaux. Uh, there was a penalty against Dikabi that probably should have been given. They really struggled to have anything going forward. I know Depay has been in good form, but he was pretty anonymous in that in that Bordeaux match, and that's a direct uh, rival for Europe, the European places. 
the match against Roma, I'm not going to take anything away from that. I feared the worst after Leon went down 2-1. But the way they dug in and 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 got and got stuck in and came back into that match is really impressive. I think that uh, giving making Luca two starts, a regular starter, has been really key to all of this. He offers, I think, where his going alone is a little bit more prosaic and and not necessarily negative, but he's less able to express himself going forward. That gives more of a platform for Leon to get forward, and it also gives a little bit more of a freer role to Corentin Tolisso. When Leon had been playing uh, 4-4-2 at earlier times in the season, when we saw Gonalo and Tolisso played as a pair, we didn't see Corentin Tolisso's talents being used to the highest level. I mean, this player is can do a job as a central midfielder, but I think the further forward he is on the pitch, the more effective he is. And the freedom that, that playing Tussar in that 4-3-3 alongside Tolisso has allowed that to happen, has made Leon be back to the level that we saw this team at two years ago, in 2014-15. Tolisso was a really key component uh, playing in that diamond at that point in time. I think he scored something like six or seven goals, a pretty good return from midfield. So again, he's got that capability, and two starts allowing that to happen. So that's what it's down to. It's down to a, con- a confidence It's and, and these slight tweaks uh, tactically that, that uh, Genesio has engendered and allowed this team to go forward in that way. Let's talk about Memphis's de- uh, performance at the weekend and a, a pretty special goal as well, uh, Jonathan. He's scored five goals as well since his uh, move to France. He's slowly but surely, with con- more, slightly more consistent game time than he got at Manchester United at least, coming into sort of a better reign of form, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Although I have to say, I was uh, I was very disappointed with Alvan Nafont on that goal. Su- superb hit as it was, you know, from nearly the halfway line. Uh, you know, to to see such an excellent young goalkeeper beaten like that, uh, you know that 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 was uh, that was pretty disappointing. But it's you know he's he's young still. That's something that he'll learn from. Uh, De- you know, Depay. Yeah, he's got he's you know he's really sort of growing into that. He's, he had made a slow start to his uh, to his Lyon career. But he is slowly returning to the player that we saw, uh, you know, at, at PSV Eindhoven, and then with the Dutch national team, uh, you know, didn't really see him uh, in, in that sort of form throughout his entire time at, uh, at Manchester United, uh, you know. But now he really is, uh, you know, starting to establish himself as a uh, as, as, as a key player for this uh, for this Leon side. And although, you know, I'm not quite sure we'll see the absolute best of him this season. I think definitely next campaign, you know, he will be one of uh, one of Leon's stars. Particularly, uh, you know, if a key player like uh, like Lacazette is, uh, is is sold over the summer, as many expect. Uh, you know, but I think it is. Uh, you know, it, it bodes well at the moment when you look at his uh, his return from the last couple of games. You know, four goals and an assist just from his last three uh, three league matches. That's the sort of form that Olas was hoping for when he. Invested invested in them. Yeah, and looking ahead really as well, they play PSG like we've previously mentioned at the at the weekend, Philip. It mm. should be a really interesting, potentially quite attacking game. Do, do you think Leon can cause them plenty of problems? Yes. Um they have uh, they've been they've been very good since that um defeat, sorry. Uh, a couple of games again, they've been scoring goals for, for fun. Uh, well, the opposition, as Eric rightly said, has not been very good defensively, but they, they, are, they are the first side to score, to score four, to put four past, uh, past Toulouse, and uh, that, in, that involves Monaco, Nice, PSG. So they've been, yeah, they've been very, um, very dangerous in, in front of goal. Um, saying this, they do have Roma on, on Thursday before, before that game. 
and uh, it, it is well. I, I'm I'm not quite sure of the uh, of the uh, priority here because uh, you do want to to keep the Europa League, want to go far to represent f French football, but also uh, if they win the Europa League, they will be in the Champions League. And uh, I'm not even I'm not even sure if there is even still a possibility of your making uh, that that third place. They're still 13 points behind. Yes, they do have a game in hand. Uh, they I do have to be, to, be, to be honest, I think if you look at the way, I mean, well, the exception of Nice, maybe, especially now Cyprien is injured, yeah. uh, you know, but for me, I think that it's gone for Leon, the chance of Champions League through the league, at least. So you're saying it's gone? I think so. Well, well, me too, but then again, you never know. Uh, nice have to play have to play PSG, Marseille and Lyon because the last game is Lyon versus Nice. Uh, they do have to win their, their game in hand, obviously. Um, well, the game that hasn't been finished. And um, if if that if that's uh, if that happens, uh, just uh, just ten points. Like you said, Nice have lost with Cyprien until next season. That's a big blow. So I'm not even sure if uh, what's what's most likely. I mean, uh, do they get Champions League by winning the Europa League, where there's not that many uh, not not that many good sides left? No, no offense, Nathan. Um, uh, or 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 via via the league. It's you know legitimate question. The league's done, Philip. I mean, look, if they hadn't lost to Gangon, they hadn't lost to Lille, they hadn't lost to Saint-Etienne, give them seven more points and, and mm. put, them five, put them four or five back of Nice. Yeah, let's yeah. talk. But yeah. 10 points with 11 matches to go, or 11 matches for Leon. I, I don't see it. So this is basically about winning the Europa League. I mean... It should be, yeah. I mean, I, Yeah, it should be, okay. because I can't see them finishing uh, not, for, well, fifth. I just can't see but, Marseille leapfrogging them for... Right, but Philip, the thing is with the international break coming up, they don't necessarily have to rotate between yeah. the Roma match and, and PSG. I mean, they, the players are off for two weeks. The question is how much, how much are they going to have to put into that Roma match to, you know, to defend their first leg lead? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 it may well cost them. It may, it may, advancing past Roma may well cost them the, the, the PSG match. But if 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 that if that's what happens, then I think the Leon have to say so be it and just give everything from you know the the end of the international break until the end of the season, uh, and you know see see where it gets them. You know I think at the moment the most important thing for them is to get into the next round of the the, the Europa League, and anything that they get through the league is uh, is a bonus really. Eric, with that with that four two scoreline that they got on Thursday, and heading back to the Olympico in midweek, surely that gives them a huge boost heading into what could be a really important game because like as Phillips mentioned, there's not, other than Manchester United, cough, cough, hint, hint, um, mm. there's not many big teams left in the Europa League and it's a real chance at Champions League football. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, Roma, when, I, when the draw was made, I was hard in throat. I know that they're a team that's a consistent European competitor. They've, they're, They've got you know no shortage of ambitions. The players they brought in in the last few years, Salah, El Shawari, Jeko, those are top quality players. But you know, Leon surprised I think just about everybody. I think that you know yeah they've been in good form, but again they hadn't done it against a high level of opposition, which Roma certainly are. Are they favorites? Well, uh, Roma are going to have uh, Antonio Rudiger back, who I think his importance shouldn't be undersold. He did miss the first leg through suspension. And I think that will allow Roma to be a little bit more solid at the back. Uh, so, but again, Leon are, are prone to an error. I think I think Leon need to score. I think that if they, I don't think they can expect to get 
a 1-0 result against Roma. Uh, so I would say, you know, optimistically, I would look at Leon perhaps going for a 2-1 loss, which would allow them to, to progress 5-4 uh, on aggregate. I, I, don't see, I don't see them keeping, keeping a clean sheet against Roma, and that, that's what worries me. And that's that's what worries mostly on fans. I think when they take the pitch, <laughs> the individual mistakes can be can be a factor with them at the moment. And I, I do want to say very quickly that Alexandra Lacazette was absolutely superb in that game against Roma mm. as well. From an individual performance as well of doing a little bit of everything, he scored an absolutely superb goal. Although he looked absolutely knackered, um, the Toliso goal was absolutely absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and in to- in the build up and the finish, it was amazing. Yeah, they're they're almost becoming a specialist in very good goals at the moment, aren't they? Although, yeah, I do quite like the one that Jao Moutinho scored for Monaco at the weekend as well. I, I personally, unless I know this is controversial, but I think that might be better than Memphis's. But hang, I think oh. Jalais is better than both. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. That's fair enough as well. Uh, that's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Jonathan, Eric, and Philip. Uh, join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday, and we will see you here at the same time. Same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.